While dopesick sometimes lacks structural coherence and propulsive momentum, it generally makes up for those shortcomings with strong performances and a tangible sense of just how many corners of American life opioids touched. That's from Joshua Axelrod of Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Our feature review is Dopesick. That's right, all eight episodes in the books. The, the series came out back in October on Hulu, and I had friends tell me to watch it, and I said, God, eight episodes? That's like four movies. But I finally got around to it. I'm so glad I did. It is outstanding, featuring great performances from the likes of Michael Caton, Michael Stuhlbarg, Rosario Dawson, Peter Sarsgaard, Will Poulter, and so many more. That will be our new... As far as old movie is concerned, you may have heard March 14th, 1972, the 50th anniversary of when a little film called The Godfather opened at the Lowe's Theater in New York City and shortly expanded after that. So we're going to do a bit of a drive-by here on the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. But I really want to talk about Dog Day Afternoon because I watched that again over the weekend, and I love that movie. It's one of my favorites starring Al Pacino. I watched that movie. Are you kidding? Be still my beating heart. I said, you know, the reason why we're not going to do a lot of Godfather is there's no way Cody's seen it. But now you're actually making me prouder. Like, I actually don't care if you've seen The Godfather. The fact you've seen Dog Day makes me happier, Cody. I've actually seen The Godfather, too. Now, it was, like, Great. probably eight. It's one of the one of those, because there's probably 12 to 15 of those classic movies that everyone's expected to see. And The Godfather is one of the ones I've seen. Great movie. Nice. Uh, makes me want to go to an outdoor wedding. Uh, but we can get to that later. But I have seen that. I honestly don't, like, it sold so long ago that, like, if you asked me to call every scene, I, don't, I probably, but I definitely have seen The Godfather. But I just watched Dog Day Afternoon. You make me proud. I can't wait to hear your review of Dog Day Afternoon now. But, of course, first and foremost, it is the Oscars. They're taking place this Sunday. And hopefully next year, Meadowlark is going to send me and my man Cody out there yes. on the red carpet. For those who are unaware, I've covered it twice. People think I'm making that up. No, you can look it up. Academy Awards, me and Ben Lyons worked for the Academy. I got a check from the Academy. We worked for Oscar.com, Facebook Live. So one day I'll be back on that red carpet, and one day Chris Cody will be there with me. No one thinks uh, you're making it up, by the way. you It makes perfect sense that you've covered that thing twice. You're fucking Adnan Vert. <laughs> I just think when people say things, they go, yeah, bullshit. You, you work the Masters. Come on. You, you've seen the Azaleas. No, no actually, I, I, yeah, I've seen Tiger Woods. I, I mean, these things happen. What are, so. like, your top three? Real quick. I know we got to get to the episode. I don't want to, like, yeah. we got a lot of stuff to get to. What are your top three just, like, holy shit, I'm here moments? Like, is it is it the Oscars? Is it the Masters? Like, what have you covered? Yeah, that Oscars is, like? is huge. Masters is pretty big. I mentioned only because the Masters is coming up, and I'm not a golf guy. But when I was there, I'm like, this is pretty incredible. Like, yeah. the azaleas, the $2 chicken sandwiches, $1.50 cheese sandwiches. Like, there's just... How I'm are those on... sandwiches? How, they, they talk a lot about these sandwiches. How are they? Fantastic. And that was the big oh, yeah. thing. I'm like, I got to eat these sandwiches. I'm like, are you kidding? $2 chicken sandwich, $1.50. I don't know if it was grilled cheese, but something along those lines. Yeah. Amazing. Like, it's just, where else could you be that you feel like you're in a time capsule? What's and, number again, three? As a non-golf guy, the undulations were incredible. Because oh, yeah. like, I remember talking to a guy, I go, hey, I go, that's insane. How do any of these guys ever make a putt? Like, you can't tell it on TV. You just think it's a flat green. You go, yeah. how did that guy miss a 12-footer? But it's... in person, you go, holy, there's ridges and stuff going all over. I am a golf guy, and it's on my bucket list. Oh. Like, if you said to me right now, you could do anything on this earth tomorrow, I think yeah. I might say play the play Augusta with my dad. Like, that literally might be the thing. That's the thing. I think that's what I felt. That like, listen, I've covered the World Series. I love baseball like nobody else. But like, yeah, Red Sox, Cardinals, World Series, 2013 was great. I covered the Giants, Royals, 2014. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, but but like, you have to be at these types of once in a lifetime event. I'll tell you, we're right. watching March Madness right now. I covered the Final Four in '09, and when people ask me the loudest you've ever heard in arena. I got to tell you, Cody, I was there in Detroit, short drive from Toronto, which is why they sent me a four-hour drive. And it was the year, obviously, we're coming out of the recession. Michigan had been hit particularly hard. Michigan State was not expected to go deep. Yeah. They made the final, and they played North Carolina. I remember when Michigan State came out for that final, that crowd went berserk. Izzo yeah. gave, like, a fist bump. We're like, yeah! Uh, 
And then North Carolina went on an 11-2 run, <laughs> just just destroyed them. Ty Lawson, uh, Tyler Hansborough, no oh. chance they had. But, like, I tell you, the March Madness has been so good. I mean, yeah. think of it in another sport. People don't really watch a ton of college basketball. But the tournament comes on, yeah. you and I have kids, it's hard, we have other jobs. But you could literally lock in all day and watch it. It's amazing. Yeah, it is, especially with gambling. Like, I've kind of done yeah. a shtick about how I, like, I'm, a, I'm not into the brackets as much because everyone's yeah. guessing. I'm not a big bracket guy, but I do love the idea of, like, all day Saturday, all the games. They start at noon. Like it's, I, I'm with you on that. There's, there's nothing better than these games because every game is like a championship game. Right, and I think of like likable personalities again. Like we're we're in the media, so I'm like, how great is Bill Raftery? Like I think oh. Tim Kirchner's the most well liked personality, but Raff is right there. Like I've yes. never heard a bad word about real Raftery. Everyone's like, bro. First of all, that guy can drink anybody yep. on the table. And Secondly, then, guy loves basketball. Yep. Great stories. And, and you like, got the TNT comes, guys, Clark Kellogg. Oh, like yeah, they Clark, just yeah. they pick the perfect people. Brian Anderson, Grant Hill, Jihadi. Yeah, Grant Hill's great. We got to deal like with Nance, Jim Nance, but that's fine. But I think Nance has gotten better over the years. I think I think Romo. <laughs> let's hope Jim Nance is not a cinephile listener. I think Nance got better with Romo because Romo kind of gave him a little juice. Now Nance yeah. is like he's a little more fired up now. Yeah. Ever since I saw that Masters Par Three replica in Jim Nance's backyard, I've just been like, <laughs> yeah, all right, enough of this guy. <laughs> I'm so jealous that is, of that. That is kind of tough to overcome. You have, you have a par three Masters. Oh, would you like to go play the 16th at Augusta? Let's go out back. Like, you piece of shit. I'm just I, have to, I love you, Jim Nance. But, 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 but just, I have to on. narrate it in that voice. So, Jim, you have to shut the hell up. We're going to watch this. Oh. Speaking of legends, Bob Costas, 70th birthday today. I never thought. I love to tell you I'm like invited to his 70th birthday celebration. Oh, my God. I thought you were saying you had his party tonight. I was no, about to be would, like, I that, need you to have. I need you to record the whole yeah. thing. I sent him a text. He sent me a nice text back. Oh, <laughs> That's look at you. all I could tell you. But was it hey, a nice text back? Text was it a nice text back or just hey thanks? No, no. He said thanks, Adney. I appreciate all your success. Oh, there you so go. Extra sentence. Was, yeah. You got the extra sentence. Yeah, yeah. That's a no, big if thing. If he give me, if he give me like the double tap like back, I'm like, oh, that was not. <laughs> Bob's got other things to worry about here. He's got <laughs> Al Michaels is texting. Oh, I got Adney Burke. That's not great. Look at us. We're derailed. It's not like we have 23 uh, categories to get through. All right, let's do a little Oscars, Doctor, because <laughs> I did get a few. By the way, there's always stuff I forget, too. I want to mention this. Michael Chiklis, who people are still reeling from I botched the end of that interview, oh, didn't it. realize he was in Seinfeld. My brother had messaged me. I meant to ask him the fact he was in an episode of Seinfeld. So if we ever get Michael Chiklis back, remind me, we do need to ask him about Seinfeld. I also have a scarecrow story. Go ahead. Don't do the Seinfeld I, I, first. I've, I've watched the first two episodes of Winning Time, and Chiklis is like, you don't even know it. If, if I didn't do the, if I didn't know he was in it through that interview, you don't even know it's him. Like, he's... He's much oh. older in that role. He, it's, a really, it's, a good, it's a good show so far. I'm only two in, but I like it. Yeah, I think it's terrific so far. My one quibble, my buddy Will Folger, he's a great coordinating producer at MLB Network. He and I were talking today. He said, the only thing is, Jason Clark is Jerry West. It's very one note. Like, I like yes. it because he's intense and profane. But like, Makes him like, seem like a big it. asshole. <laughs> yeah, you got to dial it down a little bit. Like, he's just yeah. screaming the whole time, just dropping F-bombs. Like, I got it. You're bitter. You're angry. Yeah. You're like, but I think John C. Riley, home run. Oh, like he is home brilliant run. as Jerry Buss. And magic. And he's just yeah. like got like a charisma to him, this guy. Like I, I can yeah, it's good. We're gonna do a formal review of winning time. Once you get yeah. a few more episodes in, Cody and I'll bat around. But I keep forgetting to tell about Scarecrow, which my buddy Cabby did text me. He said, Yeah, after your review of Scarecrow, what a shock. It was a giant miss. Story about a couple of vagabonds. Gene Hackwood does a strip tease, and one guy ends up in a sanitarium. Pretty shocked. <laughs> Let's go see Jaws or go watch Scarecrow. I'm gonna go watch Jaws tonight. Okay. <laughs> but I did want to tell this story. When Pacino was cast in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino called him, said, listen, I want you to be in my movie. I was like, all right, sure. He goes up to L.A., goes up to his house, and they have dinner. And then uh, Tarantino goes, hey, we're going to watch one of your movies now. And I was like, no, no, I can't. I'm shy. He goes, no, 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 you're going to love it. He's like, no, no. And, and Pacino thinks he's going to be the godfather of Scarface. Yeah. He's like, no, no, you're going to love it. 
and he cranks up 35 millimeter Princess Scarecrow. I was like, all right, like that's <laughs> this is like a legit fan of mine here. So Tarantino helped woo Al Pacino with a screening of Scarecrow. That's next level there by Q. That is that is really good. All right, so we'll get to Dope Sick and all the rest of it. Uh, my buddy Rick Passmore also, by the way, yes, previous guest Rick Passmore, he sent me his DVD of his movie, uh, Bernice 2, B-E-R-N-I-C-E, comma, 2. Go look it up. Go buy it. We've had him on the podcast promoting it. I believe they rented it at a theater in Torrington. It's a one-hour movie about puppets. Like, we're talking March Madness. I dialed it up Friday night. I said, you know what? Duke's probably going to win. I don't want to watch Duke win. Yeah. So I'm going to watch Rick Passmore's movie. And I'm telling you right now, it's an hour film about puppets. And I, I'm going to sell it for you right now. If was like, come on. Because I had asked him, I go, listen, can I watch this with my kids? He goes, there's a couple of shit drops, some you know, questionable dialogue. At one point, there's a, a puppet in pasties. I go, okay, I can't. I can't. I, can't <laughs> I love how he's selling this. this of, I think he can. There's only a couple <laughs> scenes with pasties. But there's one great scene. He's playing an agent. He says, we'll call you if we have anything. And if we don't have anything, there's uh, one scene where he's like pitching this movie. He says, it's like Transformers meets Sweeney Todd meets Moulin Rouge, all <laughs> ad-libbed. And at one point, they're selling, it's like a commercial. And they're talking about using your wheelchair to turn into a giant robot monster it's called the super retinal deodorizer and this was the actual best part i don't, I don't want to give too much away but it's about getting kicked in the balls for 24 straight hours there's this entire scene and then literally a slow motion shot added with dramatic music so if you want to see puppets kicked in the balls bernice too Oscar previews. We have all the lines on DraftKings, by the way. I haven't checked those lines as of late, but again, I'm going to give all my predictions right now. This is what will win, and then I'll tell you what should win. I know all the gamblers are going, I couldn't care less what, what you think. Just tell me what is going to win. I want to win money on this. So Cody is going to give us the nominees in each and every category. 23 categories. This is one of those things that I've always kind of wanted to, like, I've always had a weird fantasy that someday I'll present an award at a show where I can just be <laughs> like, and here, the nominees are... Yeah. And then, like, I'm a little nervous because I'm not great at reading. So this should be fun. Um, Like, for this, like, the writing, original screenplay. Can I just say the movie or you need me to say all the writers, too? Whatever you want to do. I think it's better if you say the writers, too. All right, let's do it. I'll do it. Writing, original screenplay. Belfast. Kenneth Barnog. Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> Don't Look Up. Adam McKay. Story by Adam McKay and David Serrata. King Richard. Zach Balin. Licorice Pizza. Paul Thomas Anderson. The Worst Person in the World. Eskel Vote. And Joaquin Trier. Not bad. Joaquin Trier, like Joaquin Noah. But Esco Vote, like Stephen Vote, the baseball player. So like, yeah, I was like, oh, actually, you have a pretty good voice. Ooh, I was close my eyes listening. I'm like, Cody's actually using that pretty good. But just do some voiceovers. Um, listen, I love Paul Thomas Anderson. You all know he's one of my favorite filmmakers. Love the guy. I listened to him, by the way, years ago when I was at ESPN. We tried to get him on the podcast, and Phantom Thread came out in 2017. Carlton Gillespie was the booker. And he goes, hey, I'm trying to get you P.T. Anderson. I go, oh, my God, bro, it'd be amazing. He goes, how many downloads are you guys getting? And I tell him the number, he goes, okay, that's um, 970,000 shy. They, they need a million downloads. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, well, he'll be great on Mark Maron. He now we just, only need, but hey, now you only need 950,000. Yeah, exactly. We've narrowed the deficit. So <laughs> next time he's got a movie coming out, Paul Thomas Anderson. He was in the Spartless podcast with uh, Will Arnett, Jason Bateman. Sean Hayes, very funny if you're a big Paul Thomas Anderson fan. All of that to say, he's got a good chance of winning for this reason. The guy's been nominated like 100 times. He's been nominated for so many movies, not only Phantom Thread, but Boogie Nights for Screenplay. Obviously, there will be blood for uh, screenplay and directing. So he's got a really good chance, but Licorice Pizza isn't his best movie. Even diehard fans like me are like, eh, wasn't his best movie. So may he get nominated and win because it's a career lifetime achievement award? Perhaps. 
But I think it's going to be Kenneth Branagh because Belfast is not going to win Best Picture, even though I would love it to win Best Picture, as I'm already tipping my hand on what should win for Best Picture. But I think this is the one that he gets. I'll go, right, Kenneth Branagh is not going to win directing. He's not going to win Picture. We'll give him a screenplay. I do think the worst person in the world has a little bit of momentum. So if you like an offbeat story, a truly original story, Licorice Pizza and Worst Person in the World will split some votes. I like Kenneth Branagh to win, and I believe that he should win. If you go Career Lifetime Achievement Award, Paul Thomas Anderson is obviously a genius, and hopefully he wins an Oscar one day. But I I think in this category, Brano wins. I think he should win. Here are the nominees for writing, adapted screenplay. Coda, Sion Header, Drive My Car. Not even going to try it. Yeah, it's uh, Rusiki Hamaguchi and Takamasa O. Okay. Dune, John Spates and Dennis Villanueva and Eric Roth. <laughs> Did he build the French Canadian? <laughs> okay. The Lost Daughter, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, she's a writer. Uh, the Power of the Dog. Jane Campion. It's, look at that. Cody New, Jane, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, as a, obviously actress, now writer-director, yep. lost daughter. So I think it's going to be Coda. I, again, I, I like the democratic approach the Oscars will sometimes do. So let's give Kenneth Branagh, Belfast, okay, Coda, which has a really good chance right now for Best Picture. More on that, but I feel like they have a better chance right now for screenplay, for Sion Heater. And as far as Jane Campion is concerned, I believe that she should win. Of those five nominees, I would give it to her, but she's going to win for director, so the Academy says, okay, we don't have to give her writer and director. She'll get director. I think Coda wins for adapted screenplay. Visual effects, Dune, Free Guy, No Time to Die, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I said that with a question mark. Spider-Man, No Way Home. Listen, I'd love to give it to Spider-Man. My brother's a huge Spider-Man fan. I mean, listen, my kid Shaz is a huge Spider-Man guy, but I think it's going to be Dune, and it should be Dune. Visual effects are fantastic. Easy win for Dune. Best sound, Belfast, Dune, No Time to Die, The Power of the Dog, West Side Story. So sound is interesting. I would have thought Dune, right? I mean, hey, that's a big you know, production. Obviously, have a lot of great sound. But to be honest with you, the sound isn't anything overwhelming, I think, in that film. And I actually think it goes to West Side Story. When it comes to musicals, they generally do pretty well when it comes to sound, or even if it's movies about music. So if you look at past history, sound does well for musicals or films featuring a lot of music. That's why I'm going with West Side Story. It will win. I think it should win. By the way, just to finish the point about musicals that have won in sound, Chicago, Ray, Whiplash, Bohemian Rhapsody. Those are all movies with music or actual musicals. That's why I like West Side Story. Best short film, live action. A la Kachu, Take and Run. The Dress, The Long Goodbye, On My Mind, Please Hold. The Long Goodbye right now is the favorite. Anil Korea and Riz Ahmed. Of course, Riz Ahmed, my man, uh, former nominee for Best Actor for Sound of Metal. So you think as a star power, he'll get it. Famously, Kobe Bryant, right? Won an Academy Award. Uh, me and Dan Stanzik were there. Animated short. So you think, all right, he's the big name. I know these people are names. Oh, Riz Ahmed, I know he is. He's an actor. He's been promoting it. He's been doing talk shows, et cetera. But... The actual film, The Long Goodbye, is like one extended scene. And generally in Oscars history, those movies don't win. So I'm going to go with A La Kachu, Take and Run, which in terms of actually having a screenplay, writing, directing, production values, that should be the winner. This is a very close race. I believe if you looked at the DraftKings odds or Golder, whatever it is, The Long Goodbye is the favorite. But I think that A La Kachu, I'll take Take and Run to win. It's a close pick, but again, I take a chance. I'll go with Ala Kachu, take and run, but I believe the long goodbye should win because I'm all about Riz Ahmed. And as I mentioned before, big fan of On My Mind. Very good film and a song that Chris Cody loves. Are, are you, when these Oscars are happening, are you living and dying like this is a championship game when these announcers, like like if that oh, if yeah. that wins, will you be like, yeah, like a Tiger Woods, <laughs> like a Tiger Woods undercut fist pump if that if take and run wins? Uh, I mean, it's really like I'm just like a sweaty, messy old time. It's like when I'm watching Federer play, like I'm living and dying with every moment. 
moment. And it's like, as we've said before, I have no money on this. And people are like, oh, do you, do you gamble on it? I go, no, I don't gamble. I don't do Oscar bulls. Like, what? I, I go, I give the advice. I'm dispensing advice. I'm an oracle at the, but I am not actually have any money in the game. It's purely pride. So when I'm and I'm sweating and losing things, it's all pride and ego on the line. But yes, if if take and run wins. There will be an epic Tiger fist yeah. bump on 18. All right. I think we need to speed up a little or this is going to be an hour-long episode. <laughs> Short film, animated, Affairs of the Art, Bestia, Box Ballet, ba- box ballet mm-hmm. Robin Robin, The Windshield Wiper. By the way, good adjustment on the fly. I don't even mention the names. We don't yeah. even mention them. And Tuntiakov. <laughs> if you, if you want to mention them, you cares. can. It's just I'm trying to keep this rolling. Robin Robin <laughs> will win. I believe the should win should be Affairs of the Art, but will win is Robin Robin. Next. Production design, Dune. Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth, West Side Story. I feel like I'm doing this in the tone that they read these at the actual no, I, no, Dude, I, I'm loving the tone so far. There's been a couple of missteps on names, but the tone has been excellent. I think it should be West Side Story. I mean, you could make a case for Nightmare Alley, but I think West Side Story, Adam Stockhausen did the production design, Rena D'Angelo, the set decoration. I thought they really rebuilt that world, which is hard to do when it comes to a remake, and you're making a, a musical about the 1957 New York City. But I think what will win is production design for Dune. Patrice Vermette production design, set decoration, Susanna Seapost. I feel like Dune is kind of like Mad Max Fury Road. Big, epic film. It's got a real sweep to it. The craft departments will appreciate it. Will win, production design, Dune. I think West Side Story should win. Music, original song, Be Alive from King Richard. Dos Orgutas from Encanto. Down to Joy from Belfast. No Time to Die from No Time to Die. Somehow You Do from Four Good Days. Yeah, lone nomination for Four Good Days, which had a lot more of Four Bad Months. But I would love to see Belfast win. I think that should win. Van Morrison, wall-to-wall soundtrack. I don't care for his politics. I know he's an anti-vaxxer, a little nuts. But, but I love his music, particularly in Belfast. But the winner will be No Time to Die. Look for the star. Billie Eilish will win an Academy Award for that James Bond film. Which song is that in Encanto? Dos Orugatis. Like, yeah, that's... Lin-Manuel. Listen, if it was We Don't Talk About Bruno, that is a oh, slam dunk. There's Instead, like four good songs in there, but none of them are that one. I mean, maybe right. that one's good, and I just don't know it by name, but I know no, a lot of those songs. And the, it's not yeah. as good as the other ones. You're right. Yeah. All right. Music. Be, by the way, he'd be an EGOT if he won. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. And he's going to keep – you know song. he's going to keep trying. Like, he's not going to stop. <laughs> exactly. Music, original score, Don't Look Up, Dune, Encanto, Parallel Mothers, The Power of the Dog. Nicholas Patel, you know his name because he has the incredible score to Succession, that opening theme. And, of course, Adam McKay's guy. He's up for Don't Look Up. The Power of the Dog, I think, should win. Johnny Greenwood did the score for Phantom Thread. He also did the score for There Will Be Blood. That guy's a genius, obviously, part of Radiohead. I thought the music in The Power of the Dog was one of the strongest aspects of it. But Hans Zimmer's an absolute living legend. Steve Strudy, huge fan. Dune will win for best original score. Hans Zimmer is the pick. I love how you just casually drop in names that I know, but a lot of the audience doesn't know. Srudy is a big fan. We're still fans. They know no, no, he is. I love Srudy. No, no, people know Srudy, but you do this with other names more. Srudy is actually one of the big names. You'll do it with just random <laughs> names of like, oh, my friend Jack told me he's a big fan of this. <laughs> it's honestly, I love it though. Even if you don't know the people, I just love the casual, like, oh, a casual sides of like yeah, friends that you're like, my friend Todd told me that that was a great movie. Uh, makeup and hairstyle. Mm-hmm. Coming to America. Cruella. That's got to win. Uh, Dune. Dune. The Eyes of Tammy Faye. 
House of Gucci. Ooh, ooh, House of Gucci. A lot of good makeup this year. It's about to say all good nominees. It's tough to see a film go two for two in the Oscars in terms of two nominations and two wins, but I think it's the eyes of Tammy Faye. Linda Dowd, Stephanie Ingram, Justin Raleigh. I think it will win. I think it should win. That first shot, you see that heavy eye makeup. It's incredible, but good category all the way around. would be funny to see Coming to America win an Academy Award considering the fact most yeah. people thought it was an underwhelming Oscar, but I think it's the eyes of Tammy Faye. International feature film. Drive My Car, Japan, Flea, Denmark, The Hand of God, Italy, Luana Ayak in the Classroom, Bhutan, The Worst Person in the World, Norway. Worst Person in the World certainly has momentum right now. Lunana Ayak in the Classroom, absolute garbage. I haven't seen it. If somebody can tell me where to find it, tweet me, Adnan S. Ferk or Cinephile Pod. I can't find it anywhere. He's that so angry the... about that. He's like, I want to see everything yeah. that's nominated, and I can't fucking yeah. find it. And that, that, that's what took the slot from a hero, because the Golden Globes, the Critics' Choice Awards, the five nominees were Drive My Car, Flea, The Hand of God, The Worst Person in the World, and A Hero. We've talked to Oscar for hiding the pod, but somehow A Hero gets snubbed for Lunana Ayak in the Classroom. I want to see it. I want to torch it. Apologies <laughs> to the good people of Bhutan. I think it should be Flea. Flea is a three-time nominee, okay? It's up for feature film. It's up for documentary. It's up for animated. I think it should win. It's original. It's about a refugee fleeing Afghanistan. It's dark. It's serious. But at the same time, this might be the slam dunk of all categories. Drive My Car will win in a rout. Wow. Film editing. Don't Look Up. Dune. King Richard. The Power of the Dog. Tick, tick, boom. I can give you some insight on this one. Don't look up. I was at Adam McKay's at his flipping Oscars nominations party. They were shocked that their guy, like, they were happy. Not shocked. I don't want to, like, misrepresent them. They were just, they weren't necessarily, like, there were some categories they were expecting, and they weren't necessarily expecting this one. And they were super happy for this editor that he's worked with, Hank Corwin, that he's worked with forever. And it was just a cool, that was honestly, of all the nominees they got, they seemed the most excited about that one because of that. They just, they were like, we love Hank. And for him to have this nominee, like they were so over the moon for it. I like the backstory and they should have more reason to be excited because I'm picking it to win. Yes. Now, for, for years, best editing matched up with best picture. So that would seem to indicate the power of the dog is the favorite to win best picture. Peter Sarabas, excuse me, Peter Saberis should win for editing. But... Generally speaking, when you think of editing, what they reward is the fastest and the flashiest. And when it comes to those films, Don't Look Up is the fastest and the flashiest. Quick cuts, lots of stuff happening all over the place. Dune is a little slow. Power of the Dog, a little slow, melodic, not a whole lot of editing. King Richard, feel-good film, might have a chance. I would personally go for Tick, Tick, Boom, because I thought it's an excellent musical. Garfield gives a hell of a performance, and I like the way they edited those flashy musical sequences. But I think it's going to be Don't Look Up. Hank Corwin will win an Oscar for Best Editing. That's exciting. Documentary, short subject, Audible, Lead Me Home, The Queen of Basketball, Three Songs for Benazir, When We Were Bullies. So I've seen a couple of these. You know, if you've listened to the podcast, I I think it should be Audible. I thought it was a fantastic film about a football team in which all the players are deaf. I mean, it's remarkable these guys not only exist, but actually are a winning team playing against people who can hear. They're just hearing impaired, but they don't let that deter them from victory. Matt Ogans and Jeff McClain for Audible. They're not going to win. I really did like Lead Me Home. The two films that I think are going to win, or have a great chance of winning, I should phrase, The Queen of Basketball and When We Were Bullies. I saw three songs for Benazir. Wasn't overwhelmed. It's a real tough one, but again, you got to take a shot here. I'm going to go with When We Were Bullies. I think it's a more timely topic. Uh, from what I've read, it's going to be that or The Queen of Basketball. As a sports guy, you think I'd lean basketball? I'm going to go with When We Were Bullies to win for Doc Short Subject. All right, moving on. Documentary feature, Ascension, 
Flee. I love how I say things with question marks sometimes. <laughs> Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. Writing with Fire, and Attica. More on Attica in a little bit with uh, that movie that we're about to review. Now, that's a good tease, my man. Listen, what should win? Are you kidding? Attica. We had Stanley Nelson on the podcast. The guy's phenomenal. It's a great guy. It's an awesome documentary. It's available on YouTube, I believe, still for free, or you can watch on Showtime. Another slam dunk. Questlove's winning an Oscar. It's going to be Summer of Soul. All right. Now we're getting some of the big dogs here. Directing, Belfast, Kenneth Brogna. I, I feel like the guy at the Oscars right now. <laughs> Drive My Car. Oh, God. I'm not doing this one. Rusuki Hamaguchi. Okay. Licorice Pizza, PTA. Paul Thomas Anderson, The Power of the Dog, Jane Campion, West Side Story, Some Guy Named Spielberg. Jane Campion, again, slam dunk, bet the house on it, go ahead, I don't care what the odds are, put put $1,000, put $5,000. Really? Jane Campion is going to win the is best. Is she like a heavy Oscar. favorite? So like if I heavy put 1000 I'm only going to win 100 <laughs> Exactly. But you bet the mortgage on this one. Campion, famously, this was a duel back in 1993. The Piano She Made, which was an independent film, uh, beloved by the critics, went up against a little film called Schindler's List. Steven Spielberg wins Best Director, Campion lost there. This time, Jane Campion gets revenge. She will win if i had a vote i'd give it to belfast i get it kenneth brown wow. for directing black and white film beautifully shot it's about a heartfelt ode to his life it should be kenny winning it but i give props to my friend alpha hill one he when he watched power of the dog in like november he was like bro jane campion's gonna win you're gonna get back-to-back best director females which has always been like four women who have ever won best director nice. you're gonna get jane campion to do it back-to-back years uh, of course after what happened a year ago so i would vote for brana it's gonna be jane campion those are your nominees all right costume design Cruella, Serrano, Serrano, Dune, Nightmare Alley, West Side Story. So the favorite right now is Cruella, but I don't think it's going to win. I mean, that's a summer movie, which definitely was seen by people, but people forget these things. They kind of just focus on the Oscar bait. So I think it's between Dune and West Side Story. And honestly, I would personally go with West Side Story. Again, I think it's very bright and colorful and, and love all the costumes. But I think this one goes to Dune because those costumes are very specific. It's a very specific world you know, you're, you're adapting it from a book. It's got to be science fiction style. I'm going to go with Dune. Again, the Mad Max Fury Road style. Big blockbuster. They'll do well in these categories. I'm picking Dune to win. I would go with West Side Story. All right. Cinematography. Dune. Nightmare Alley. The Power of the Dog. The Tragedy of Macbeth. West Side Story. So this is an upset, too. The favorite right now is Greg Frazier for Dune or The Power of the Dog, Ari Wegner. But I think they split votes because both those films have big followings, which means... The tragedy of Macbeth will win, and this is a legit upset I'm calling Bruno Del Bonnell. Black and white movies do very well in this category. Make a season ago, black and white film on Netflix, it won for best cinematography, and people all agree who saw it, it was very strikingly shot. Janusz Kaminski, Spielberg's longtime guy, he's not going to win for West Side Story. The favorites are Dune and Power of the Dog, but I'm telling you, I got a feeling on the wow. tragedy of Macbeth. Bruno Del Bono, this is what upset I like. special. All right? This is what I like. I don't like the guarantee on the heavy favorite. I like the upset pick. Let's do this. All right. Animated feature film, Encanto, Flea, Luca, The Mitchells versus the Machines, Raya and the Last Dragon. I think it should be The Mitchells and the Machines. Has no shot. Again, slam dunk. Bet the mortgage. It's Encanto. Really? Does that oh how it works? God. Does Disney's most popular film like always win? Like did Frozen Frilly win? has a pretty good chance. I mean, it should be Flea. Flea is fantastic. Again, yeah. I mean, if you're really going to give it to Flea or the Mitchells vs. Machines, I love. Listen, Flea is like an adult feature film. I think of an animated film. I'm thinking of like, you know, a fun movie. So Mitchells vs. Machines, Phil Lord, those guys did Lego movie. But yeah, big blockbuster like a Disney film. Encanto is going to win. 
All right, now we got the big five. Are these the big five? Like, is directing bigger than supporting actors? Well, I, I think it, I, I would always go big six myself. Okay, big six with directing, right? With yes. these five that I've left and directing. All right, here we go. Uh -huh. All right, actress in a supporting role: Jesse Buckley, The Lost Daughter; Ariana DeBose, West Side Story; Judy Dench, Belfast; Kirsten Dunst, The Power of the Dog. God, I did so well. Ingenue Ellis. Oh, damn, I know that name. I just didn't buy I've never read it before. King Richard. Ariana DeBose. She's going to win, and she should win. Outstanding performance in West Side Story, winning for the role which Rita Moreno won years ago in the original West Side Story. She won supporting actress, same role, different actress, great performance. Ariana DeBose is going to win. Slam dunk. Cool. It's cool to see Kirsten Dunst still around getting nominated. Oh, yeah. like, just cause she's like a, like a teenage actress from my era, and now she's getting Oscar nominees. It's cool. Let's do actor in a supporting role. Siren Hines. Siren Hines, yep. Belfast. Troy Coster, Coda. Troy Coster. Jess God damn it. Jesse Plemons, The Power of the Dog. I thought I got, I just, I'm like on a roll of getting wrong. So J.K. Simmons, Being the Ricardos. Cody Smith McPhee, The Power of the Dog. Again, slam dunk. It's Coster. It's a great story. If you want your feel-good moment, that's what it's going to be. You've never had a deaf actor win Best Supporting Actor Academy Award. Marley Matlin won for Lead Actress, Children of a Lesser God, way back in 1986. She co-stars in CODA. It's going to be a great Oscar moment. He's already won the SAG Award. He won the Critics' Choice Award. Troy Kotzer is going to win. Bet the house. If it was up to me, I wouldn't give it to him. I'd give it to him. C.R. and Hines in Belfast, paying the kindly grandfather. I thought he gave a beautiful performance. All right. Actor in a leading role, Javier Bardem, being the Ricardos. Benedict Cumberbatch, The Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield, Tick, Tick, Boom, Will Smith, King Richard, Denzel Washington, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Come on, Will Smith, right? If it was up to me, I'd give it to Denzel. I thought The Tragedy of Macbeth was fantastic. And Denzel, who at times, I don't like some of his action forays, you know, two guns, this kind of nonsense. But when Denzel brings it, he brings it. There's no question he's one of the greatest actors of all time, whether it's Malcolm X, The Hurricane, which I recently reviewed. Yeah. You're talking about Glory. Obviously, so many great films over the years. Remember I The, the Tragedy Titans? Macbeth. Remember The Titans, sure. I thought The Tragedy of Macbeth, he was fabulous in it. I would give it to him or the guy who's got a puncher's chance. So if you want to get a little gutsy here, Will Smith, again, is a heavy favorite to win for King Richard. Okay, he's already won the SAG Award, won the Critics' Choice Award. But there's a faction of people who think Andrew Garfield and Tick, Tick, Boom could pull off an upset. So if you have, like, alternate ballots, and you're like, you know what, probably yeah. not, but let me put five bucks on this one. Yeah. Listen, it's a guy playing a real actor, like a real person, the guy who created Rent. The guy died. Those are both, again, things generally do well. You're playing a real guy. The guy died. It was about AIDS, HIV. It's a musical, artistic community that like to support these things. Right creator, Jonathan Larson, versus a tennis guy in Richard Williams. But Will's a great story. He's never won before. It's his third nomination. But don't be shocked if Andrew Garfield pulls off an epic yeah. upset and tick, tick, boom. I'm just telling you right now, Will Smith's going to win, and I think Denzel should win. But watch out for Garfield. Is one of the few bigger advantages than playing somebody who has died is the person who's nominated having died, right? Not to get morbid, but like yes. Heath Ledger, he passed away. That oh. was like, you know what I mean? Not that he didn't yeah. deserve it, but is that when you're looking for things that are advantages, if somebody, if a nominee passes away, they're like, they're going to win, right? Yeah, that's where it gets, I mean, generally you think that's the option. Although then a year ago, that did not happen when Anthony Hopkins won Best Actor. Oh, like, we true. all thought for sure Chadwick Boseman was going to win. I'm like, well, he died and he was a great actor, but I'm oh, like, yeah. no, actually... Hopkins, and that was a gigantic upset. My mouth was agape. But I should have realized, they love British actors. Daniel Day-Lewis, Jeremy Irons, Hopkins, a living legend. Hadn't won since Sons of the Lambs. It is a great performance. 
But that was a shock, and the Academy yeah. was shocked. They saved it for the end. They thought it was going to be Chadwick Boseman, look up to heaven. And that was uh, crazy that they Anthony saved Hopkins. it for the end. That's right. the thing. You save like, it for the end. It's like, I thought you knew. It seems like you knew. Yeah. <laughs> best oh. picture is always the last one. Last of the best actor, and they were shocked. Anthony Hopkins asleep in Wales. Wins. Why would they do that if he wasn't the winner? They, they can The people booking the show don't know the winners? That's weird. Anyway. There should have been some better planning. Yeah. Actress in a leading role. Jessica Chastain, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Olivia Coleman, The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz, Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman, Being the Ricardos, Kristen Stewart, Spencer. Just for lines, because Ben called Spencer like that. call it. I think he was like, dude, Kristen Stewart, she's going to win an Oscar. She's awesome. I love her. I think she should win. I mean, Princess Diana, it's a hell of a performance. She died. She died. Again, it's a real person. Uh, Kristen Stewart, they love a good story. Hey, this girl was in Twilight, and all of a sudden she's making Academy Award winning films, potentially, but she's not going to win. Book it. Jessica Chastain, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. It's an average movie, but it's a very good performance, and she's a beloved actress who's made a lot of good movies for a long time. It's her turn. Olivia Coleman's already won. Penelope Cruz has already won. Nicole Kidman's already won. That discounts them. So you're looking at Kristen Stewart or Jessica Chastain. Stewart did not have much momentum going into the race. I'm calling Jessica Chastain the win for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. All right, here we are. Best picture. I didn't forget any, did I? No, no, <laughs> I don't think so. You butchered a few names. We got all 23 categories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best picture. Belfast. Coda. Don't Look Up. Drive My Car. Dune. King Richard. Licorice Pizza. Nightmare Alley. The Power of the Dog. West Side Story. Now, those were some easy. Like, why couldn't they all be that? Listen, you nailed it. It should be Belfast. I've said all along of the nominees, it's my favorite of those films. Dan Stanzik finally saw it. The guy's half Irish. I'm like, what's taking so long? Why aren't you even seeing Belfast? He texted me. He goes, listen, I saw it. It's awesome. It's my favorite of the nominees. I'm like, yeah, Belfast should win. But sometimes this happens. A film has a lot of momentum. They thought it was the favorite audience award, Toronto Film Festival in September. Here it comes in November. Then all of a sudden, here it comes Coda. Here comes the power of the dog. And you go, okay. Belfast was the front runner. I think it should win. I think it's a beautiful coming-of-age story, which is heartfelt and heartwarming and a real love letter from Kenneth Branagh. But it's not going to win. The heartfelt, heartwarming movie, that would be Coda. And Coda right now has momentum. They just won the Producers Guild Award for Best Picture. That's a huge deal. All right? Critics' Choice Award went to Power of the Dog. Golden Globe, Power of the Dog. But the SAG Awards at the Screen Actors Guild Award, which is the biggest branch of the Academy, the actors... Gave it to Coda. They love this story. Children of deaf adults. That's what Coda means. Yeah, I've be been Coda. on record as saying it's an average movie. If Coda wins Best Picture, this will be the worst since Crash won over Brokeback Mountain, since Shakespeare in Love won over Saving Private Ryan. But I don't think it's going to win. It's going to be close, but only three nominations. That's not a good recipe for success. There's no directing nomination, no editing nomination, only one acting nomination, and zero in the craft categories. I think the power of the dog wins best picture, but do not be shocked if it's Coda. And if it was up to me, I'd go with Belfast. I think it's going to be Coda. If you're looking for a moment in a story, it's going to be Coda. Yeah. But I think the fact it's only three nominations, no directing, no screenplay, I still think it's going to be power of the dog. But, it's gonna be, but listen, this is what you want. You want an upset. You want something to be a little bit exciting, right? Like, that's always more fun. You don't want things to go chalk. Hopefully you did it. Uh... You did it. You got me excited for the Oscars. I'm excited. <laughs> I didn't think it was possible. <sighs> a couple other news and notes. Power of the Dog, by the way, 12 nominations. I mean, just led all the field. I love Kenneth Branagh. He's earned career nominations seven different categories. 
Think how talented that guy is. Seven different categories, and I think he's going to win for screenplay. Flea is the first film to nominate Best Animated Documentary International Feature. Diane Warren, who I don't think is going to win, the songwriter holds a record 13 nominations for original song without a win. 13 nominations. She's never won. I don't think she's going to win. Uh, Bhutan, which I've ripped already for Lunana, a yak in the classroom, the country earning its first international feature for an Academy Award. By the way, Oscar newbies, these are first-time nominees. Jesse Buckley, Ariana DeBose, Kirsten Dunst, you mentioned, Ingenue Ellis, Sharon Hines, Troy Kotzer, Jesse Plemons, Cody Smith-McPhee, and Kirsten Stewart. So it'll be fun to see all those people getting their moment. As far as the Oscars themselves, they take place Sunday, 8 o'clock Eastern, ABC. Red Carpet Show begins from 5.30 to 6. Ah, I love the Red Carpet. Show. Then you love get it. your local news, 6 to 6.30. The real Red Carpet goes 6.30 to 8. And then you've got the Oscar 8 o'clock. So you are going to be watching the Red Carpet at 6.30 oh, Eastern. I lo- even There's been years where I don't even, I might miss some of the Oscars. I love just a, a Sunday afternoon, throw on the Red Carpet, Ryan Seacrest. I don't even know if he does yeah. it anymore. Just yeah. work in the room, sending it like, what are you wearing? Love it. It's no, just no, a vibe. That, that, that's my favorite part. Though. They don't say, what are you wearing? They say, who are you wearing? Yes. That's the best part. Who are you wearing? At the one of the, I think it was, I don't know if it was the Serene Actors Guild. one of the ones I was watching a few weeks ago. It was, what yeah. story are you trying to tell now? I think they're trying to like move on from what are, like, who are you wearing? And they're just like, yes. what's the story you're telling with this outfit? I was like, enough with that. Just ask who they're wearing. I love that gig, though. Could you imagine just who are you wearing? What story are you trying to tell? Oh, mm-hmm. you look fat. Every girl you're just flirting with. Oh, my God. You look What incredible. was your inspiration for this role? Right. Just such nonsense. I, I put on a bit, like you, I, I have it on just to have it on, but I'm, listen, it's the pregame to the Super Bowl, which I'm yeah. obviously locked in. And of course, if you don't follow me, you should. Adnan S. Ferk, I'll be tweeting like a maniac. I think I end up losing followers to people like, God, enough of the Oscars for that. But, <laughs> but the people that like it, like it. People that hate it go, gee, enough. You're a sportscaster. Sh- I'm muting you. Shut up. So fair warning. If you don't like it, Sunday, I'm sending at least 50 tweets. Over under, I'll take the over on that. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Let's talk a little movies right now, shall we? Dope sick. I don't want to give anything away because my cousin gave it away. He told me what happened. I'm not going to tell you what happened. I'm just going to tell you the bare Cole's notes or cliff notes, as they say, when it comes to this film. So it's a mini series, first and foremost. The series takes viewers to the epicenter of America's struggle with opioid addiction, from the boardrooms of Purdue Pharma to a distressed Virginia mining community to the hallways of the DEA. It is from Danny Strong. 
And I love Barry Levinson, great director, won an Academy Award for Rain Man, had no idea he actually directed the first two episodes. Big Baltimore guy. If you're a 30 for 30 fan, Bill Simmons has told the story along with John Skipper. A big deal for 30 for 30 was when they got Barry Levinson. He did the first 30 for 30, the band that wouldn't die, something like that. It was about the band in Baltimore. Obviously, big Baltimore guy, loves the Colts. Anyways, Levinson did the first two, uh, which are very good. But really, it's the cast. My man, Michael Keaton, I've talked about before. He won a Screen Actors Guild Award, won the Critics' Choice Award, uh, and he dedicated this film to his nephew who passed away from opioids. He plays Dr. Samuel Phoenix, uh, who is a small-town doctor in West Virginia, who gets approached by a very eager Will Poulter playing Billy Cutler, and they're selling this new drug. It's called OxyContin. It's great for pain relief. You get 10 milligrams, it'll help you out. And the best part about it is it's not addictive. That's the big thing they're selling. So they send all their pharmaceutical reps to go to these small-town doctors. Hey, give this drug to your clients. Hey, there's no addictive part to it. Uh, it's really helpful. It's like a miracle drug. It's awesome. And, of course, we all know that's a lie. We know that pharmaceutical companies are full of it and just want money and are rapacious with greed. And Michael Keaton plays a, a well-meaning doctor who falls for it, reads the literature. Well, it's approved by the FDA. Well, if the FDA's in on it, why not? And all of a sudden, you start administering this to people, 10 milligrams, 20 milligrams, and you see what happens. Of course, we've all lived through the opioid addiction and just how scary and sad it is. It's claimed so many lives. I didn't know a whole lot about it. And the reason why I was resistant to watching Dope Sick, along with the fact it was eight hours, I just said, listen, what are you going to tell me? I know drugs are bad. I know the opioid epidemic is a disaster. Why am I watching this? But the reason why is because there's compelling performances, and you see how easily people can get hooked on this stuff. And you see how insidious it is from the top down, which is to say corporate level, the government, they're all in bed together, all these pharmaceutical companies, the doctors, etc. And the next thing you know is very well-meaning, hardworking people, particularly in these mining towns in Appalachia, are suffering these drastic consequences. And I did not realize how far-reaching it was, what Purdue Pharma was all about. It was eye-opening to me. It was enlightening, and it was obviously very, very sad. I recommend everyone go watch Dope Sick. It's eight hours. I'm giving it four minute beliefs. I don't want to tell you more about the story just other than to say Stuhlberg plays the Purdue Pharma rep. That guy's about as creepy and sinister as it gets. He just looks slimy and oily as he's looking to sell it. Rosario Dawson, very good actress. She plays um, Bridget Meyer, who is dogged in terms of trying to get these guys under oath into government. Peter Sarsgaard, husband of Maggie Gyllenhaal, nominated for an Oscar. He plays one of the um, one of the cops who's investigating again, trying to bring these guys to justice. I mentioned Poulter. Caitlin Deaver is incredible. She plays Betsy Malum. She plays a minor who suffers an accident who gets some OxyContin from Michael Keaton. But of course, the star is Keaton. He's been a remarkable actor for so long. He holds the story together. My only criticism, and I'm giving it for my beliefs, I wish there was more of Keaton. I mean, it really is... <laughs> Uh, a story which is an ensemble cast. I thought it was because Keaton won for lead actor. I'm like, oh, he'll be in it more. No, if the episode's 60 minutes, he's in it 20. Rosario Dawson's characters are 20. Sarsgaard's 20. It's very evenly split between all stories. But the best copy you can give a show like this, which is eight hours long, I wish it was eight hours longer. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I love seeing so much about these characters. I wish there was a part two. I wish I knew more about them. It's the rare show that I really wish was a lot longer. That's how much depth and feeling was. I love Dope Sick. I think with because we mentioned his a couple of his award speeches in re recent weeks, Michael Keaton, I believe, has been mentioned in four straight episodes. I'm looking at this now like a baseball hitting streak. Can we make it a running <laughs> joke, like an inside joke with the show, trying to at least say Michael Keaton's name once, like going forward for the rest of the year? I mean, 
you put your finger up at one point. And I said, okay, Chris is going to have a very touching story with the opioid yeah. epidemic. Perhaps there's something. And that's all so I was can, thinking. You, I was like, we have a Michael. <laughs> I was like, we have a Michael Keaton hitting streak. Is all I was thinking that entire time. I, I said, like, it, it, I said it must have impacted South Florida somehow. Maybe there's a touching story. No. your dad did a profile of an athlete got hooked on oxycontin. No, no, no. You just want to know about Michael Keaton's hit streak. I, I, um, I'm, think, I'm picturing Luis Castillo's 32 gamer <laughs> in like Castillo. in 1996. <laughs> So I really just want to replicate that and get to 33 straight episodes mentioning Michael Keaton. Okay. Well, as I've said before, J.P. Marietta, who's a loyal listener of the podcast, he once quote tweeted my saying, who doesn't love Michael Keaton? So you know yeah. what? I'll just make that a drop every episode. Who yeah. doesn't love Michael Keaton? Right. That's at least the at the end. If we don't get to him naturally at the very yeah. end, just be like, who doesn't love Michael Keaton? We'll see you at the movies. <laughs> From now on, it's a new day. I love it. Go check out Dopes. I love because this is like, I'm not pompous enough to think people listen to every episode. Like even the no. podcast that I love, I love your show. I don't listen to every episode. I miss right. stuff all the time. So I can't wait for the guy who misses this episode yes. and then listens. Like, Why the hell do they keep saying, uh, who doesn't love Michael Keaton? I'll see it at the movie. What the hell is that about? But for like every person that's that, there's seven other people that do listen and they're like, sure. yes, I get that's it. The ones and they're in on the joke. That's the, whole, that's the whole recipe. They are definitely in on it. Giving away the uh, goods. Okay, The Godfather. I didn't rewatch it, but I just wanted to mention it in passing because it is. You the don't have to rewatch it. I imagine you know every scene. Yes, like, it's I, just... exactly. <laughs> what, I, what I wanted to mention is the fact that my friend Alpha Hill won breaking news. He texts me today. He goes, hey, see what they're doing at the Oscars? Apparently, they're going to have a moment in which, in honoring the 50th anniversary of arguably the greatest American movie ever made, they're going to have a tribute to it. So this is definitely going to be happening. I cannot wait for the moment this uh, Sunday at the Oscars. You're going to have Coppola. Pacino, De Niro, Talia Shire, Robert Duvall, James Caan, all those guys still around. R.I.P. John Cazale, of course, died many years ago, but I look forward to seeing that. Great article in the New York Times. Dave Itzkoff, he wrote an awesome book on network, um, and he wrote a really fun interview with Al Pacino in the New York Times. Al doesn't do a lot of press, but hey, 50th anniversary of Godfather, I'll talk to the New York Times. One of the funnier stories he tells in there is he said they wrapped up shooting for the day, and he was walking back to his trailer, and he goes, oh, I used to drink in those days. He doesn't actually, it's not actually an audio interview, but I just can picture him's voice while I'm reading the article. Oh, I used to drink in those days. And he said, he walked by and he saw Coppola weeping. And he said, oh my God, Francis, are you okay? And he said, they, they won't let me do it. They won't let me do one more setup. And he's like blubbering. And Al thought to himself, okay, I think we've got something here. Because this guy is so passionate about this movie. He's literally crying because the studio won't give him another hour to shoot this one scene. Like, this guy is so invested in this film. I think we have something special. Pretty cool. He also, I mean, famously, Pacino did not want to be cast by the studio. They wanted Robert Redford. They wanted Ryan O'Neill. And, of course, Coppola said, but they're Sicilian. Like, those guys are blonde. They're like, oh, there's blonde-haired Italians. We can do it. Redford's a handsome guy. Good star. And they saw Pacino. They kept saying, who is this little guy? Al, who is his name again? Al Pacino? I never heard of this guy. But Coppola believed in him. And that's the lesson. You've got to have in life a guy that believes in you. You've got to have somebody that will vouch for you. It's, it's how I've had success in my life. It's how Chris has had success. Somebody has to say, you know what? I'm going with this guy. You know, I got my start in TV. I had to have Stan Papalka say years ago, I'm putting you on TV. I had to have Anthony Ciccioli say, I'm putting you on TV at the score. I had to have Pete Genesini say, I'm giving you and Dan Stans like a podcast, damn it. Good luck to you. <laughs> if you don't have that vote of confidence, you have nothing. So yeah. as Pacino said, he goes, without Coppola, without The Godfather, I would not be here. I mean, it's been 50 years of this, but that guy believed in me. And Pacino goes, I did not believe in myself. He goes, I was doing the auditions going... I want to do Sonny. Sonny's the fun role. The James Conn role, he's a hothead. I can do that. He goes, Michael's kind of an odd guy. He's enigmatic. He's quiet. He goes, I, I really don't know how to approach him. And he was not doing well at all in the audition process. The studio does not want him. And Pacino famously says, I was this close to getting fired. Coppola calls me to dinner. And he goes, he's there with his family, big Italian meal he's having. And he says to Pacino, how do you think things are going? 
And I was like, oh, you know, not bad. I'm doing all right. He's like, yeah. He goes, it's not going well. And Pacino's was like, okay, whatever. He's like, I want you to go to my office and I want you to watch the rushes. The rushes are the, you know, the videos they're doing at the day. And he goes, I want you to watch it and, and, and see what, what's going on because this is not going well. He did not tell him you're about to get fired, which was the actual truth, but he said to him, Al, like, we are on the clock here. And Pacino's like, okay. He goes to his office, he watches the rushes, tries to figure out what's going on. And Coppola famously moved up the Salazzo scene, which is a great showcase for Michael. Because he realizes Pacino's about to get fired. Okay, let me give him his big scene. If he can't knock this one out of the park, then we have no chance. And to Pacino's credit, he does knock that scene out of the park. The studio sees that scene and goes, you know what, you can keep him. And the rest is history. That's how close he was to losing it. But that scene where he shoots Salazzo and McCluskey... Awesome scene. Absolutely riveting. If you somehow have not seen The Godfather, you should. And go check out that article from Dave Itzkoff with Al Pacino. Great interview there. Coppola also had an interview in which he's talking about a new project he's been working on. He's going to self-fund it. Apparently, like, $120 million of his own money he's putting towards this thing. Uh, I think it's called Metropolis, something like that. Love story. So uh, Michael Kim said that to me. So go check out that article as well on Francis Ford Coppola. And again, Godfather reunion happening at the Oscars this Sunday. Lastly... I want to talk about another Al Pacino movie because, you know what, what can I really say about The Godfather? Everyone knows about The Godfather. What really can I add to the conversation? Richard Roper, Chicago, sometimes. The Godfather is the most memorable, most influential, most quoted, most beloved, most discussed, most imitated, most revered, and most entertaining American movie ever made. Period. Let's talk a little dog day afternoon. It's one of my top 20 movies of all time. Probably haven't seen it in about 20 wow. years. Wow. Oh, yeah. Maybe top 25. I mean, I, had, I, I have not seen I'm not kidding. 20 years since I've seen this movie. And I love it. And it was on TCM. I said, what the hell? I'm going to watch Dog Day Afternoon again. It stars, if you've never seen it, Al Pacino. Now, this was in when Pacino was on, like, just a heater right now. Okay. Yeah. He makes Godfather in 72. He makes Serpico in 73. Godfather 2 in 74. And then Dog Day Afternoon. That's tough to beat that four-year stretch. You talk about hit streaks, Michael Keaton. Those four for four, that's, that's I mean, that's about as good as it gets. And the story is about a bank robbery. He plays Sonny Wurzik, a fairly inept loser, along with his partner, the late, great John Cazale, who was Fredo in The Godfather. And they go and rob a bank, even though they're clearly ill-fated and ill-suited to do so. The real stars of this film, along with Pacino's gripping performances, are Sidney Lumet, the director, and Frank Pearson, who wrote the script. Pearson won an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, and Lumet, shockingly, did not win Best Director, although it's an incredible film. Great year for movies, by the way. It came out the same year as One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 75, I believe, Milos Forman won for director, Nicholson won for best actor. But Al's amazing. I mean, every single scene is so captivating. The way the sweat is dripping, his anxiety, his tension, his humor. Uh, the Attica scene is very famous. If you listen to my interview with Stanley Nelson, he's on, their, uh, on set. He's going to rile up the crowd somehow. And the assistant director told Pacino, he goes, say Attica. He goes, what? He goes, say Attica, the crowd will go nuts. A bunch of extras. So as he's yelling a great line, he goes, this guy wants to kill me so bad he can taste it. He goes, get him back, get him back, Attica. He yells it at least seven times. My 13-year-old son, Yusuf, walked in at that moment, goes, what is he yelling Attica for? I go, it's a long story. So I didn't get it. Attica. I was like your, your kid. I was like, why is he yelling Attica? I mean, I right. get there in Attica. I was like, why does this crowd all of a sudden love this bank robber? Like, I was yeah. confused by the crowd being pro-Sunny. Uh, that was right. weird to me the whole movie. Sunny. They were anti-authoritarian. They're like heckling the cops. And the cops are like, yeah. do you want those sausages to die? Like, what yeah. are you guys doing? It seemed a little odd. It was like, there was Airhead vibes. You ever seen Airhead? Oh, but, sure. Uh, Brendan Fraser. It was like a more serious version of Airheads. Because like, there was a lot of ridiculous scenes in it. Like, he's on the news in the bank, like, yeah. talking. To, like, you know, there's like a lot of things that would never actually happen in a bank robber. But... Like I, I love. I'm with you. I, I don't know if it's a top movie ever for me, but I was. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. It dragged a little. 
I thought. Yeah. And I was about to say, it drags towards the end, right? Because you get yeah. to about the hour. First off, the first half crackles. Like, first yes. hour 17 is incredible. Oh, I was I, like, this and, is epic. I'm like, oh, it's two hours, though. I'm like, how are they going to make this two hours? Yeah. And genuinely funny. I mean, they're, I mean yes. the scene with Sal, I want to go somewhere I've never been before. What country did I go to? Wyoming. Wyoming. Yeah, I was like, Wyoming's, that was hilarious. That was good. Like, amazing. I mean, and the guy, um, to the Irish guy, what's his name? McClaney? No, it's not his name. Whatever his name is. And then he turns He's, out to be gay. Not the spoiler alert. Well, that's that's the big shock. Again, I'm this sorry. Is 1975. <laughs> that's how Chris does it. When when I watch movies, I just start saying what happened. So be prepared. But think about it. You know, if a movie came out like that now, Sully Boyer. So I'm thinking of Mulvaney. He's the guy running the bank. Because remember, at one point, Pacino's like, "I got no yes. issues with you. You're being very cooperative. I, you're going to see your wife and kids again." But later on, Mulvaney kind of bites at him, like, "Are you going to get this done?" And he goes, "Yeah, you're starting to get on my nerves." Yeah. I love the way Pacino does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that all the time. You're starting to get on my nerves. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. when he gets mad at him. And even like the the attendants, one of them has to go to the bathroom. Oh, now they all the all the hostages got real comfortable really quick. At one point, they're do they're playing with one of their guns. I'm like, "This yeah, is yeah. what's happening right now." <laughs> Like, he he gets pizza for everybody and he tells them he he pays for it dude you're robbing a bank why are you offering to pay for the pizza the crowd goes crazy i'm like what's happening right now how about this i totally forgot the scene where kazal's talking to the woman and she wants a cigarette he goes you shouldn't smoke that was she's and she goes i feel like it and he goes and he goes, I don't smoke. She goes, why? He goes, because I'm, I'm afraid of the cancer. And she goes, so you rob a bank, but you're afraid of the cancer? He goes, yeah. That, she goes, that's honestly well, the only scene you learn anything about Sal. Right. The whole time, other than that, the only thing you know about Sal is he's like, you said we're either getting out clean or dying. Yeah. I was like, Jesus. No, he's a cold-blooded <laughs> killer, okay? This guy, that was a great, another one of the great lines of opportunity. He goes, listen, I bark, he bites. Yeah. And like, because Sal, that hair is just unbelievable. He's like, yeah. just, just an absolutely menacing character. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm learning that with the, you're making me watch these good movies. And I'm, I think I'm learning that I'm a less, like, I've heard Claire Atkins, she said in that wish, less plot, the better. I yeah. think I'm in that, like, I think I'm, I didn't realize I, I like that. But like, Reservoir Dogs love that. This movie, until about the hour, thir- when they start trying to put plot into this movie, when it starts to drag, when he's writing a goodbye note to his right. his husband and his girl and his wife, then I'm just like, all right, can we get to the, how this ends? I'm like, I, because I was I bought into the whole thing in the first act, so you don't gotta like I don't need a backstory now. I'm already enjoying this movie. Just tell me how this bank. I, that was like that mid that half hour in the the start of the second hour. I was like. But then the ending was chef's kiss. Like, the way it actually ends, like, the, that scene, I'm not going to give it away, but that was intense. How about Charles Durling, uh, Durning as Moretti? I mean, he's fantastic. Yes. When him and Sonny are screaming at each other, he starts patting himself down. Look, I got nothing on me. Pat his gut. I was actually out. thinking, as good as that movie was, outside of Pacino and Sal and that guy, there weren't a ton of memorable performances, I didn't think. Like, outside of those three but i did think beretti that guy was great that was a great performance <laughs> beretti was awesome but the movie and really pacino's changes. great pacino is great like you you can just see he's oddly he got better looking is this a, a take that yeah. many people have he was odd looking as a young guy well here's the my wife thinks he's like devastatingly handsome in the godfather really? godfather part two she goes oh my god he was hot and when he got older he goes good but i'm kind of with you i think dog hair's out of control yeah kind of messy high voice i think he got more handsome as he got me older. too let us know. Put on the poll, Guillermo. Did Al Pacino become more handsome as he got older? The, about the hour 17 mark, once it goes from light to dark, the film literally becomes darker. And you get the FBI guy, who I agree, not a great performance. He's just very stiff, very still. But the way he goes in to check out the hostages and then says to Sonny, when the time comes, don't worry about Sal. Like, we'll yeah. take care of your daughter. He goes, you think I'd sell him out, you fuck? Yeah. That was, <laughs> and then he ended up like, did, 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 he, did he sell him out? Or they no, just. No, no, no. So what they ends just, up happening they, is, 
So to your yeah. point, about the I, I, I looked at it, hour 40, it's starting to get a little slow. The last yeah. 20 minutes probably could have been done in about seven minutes. Right. Like, like right. There, there's the shot through the airplane. I go, okay, this is like, I don't need a 30 second shot of an yeah. airplane coming in. Like, I got it. Yeah. But they all have to go in the car. Seriously, that's seen... 30 seconds. It's such a good point. I didn't think about it at the time. That is an incredibly long shot of that airplane <laughs> driving up. <laughs> like, I got it. The plane's here. Like, we're going to go. And then like, we dude, see like... it make the full U turn for some reason. <laughs> it's like, why can we not cut here? That's why they didn't get nominated for ed- editing. By yeah, the way, Eddie was out there. If me and you were ever robbing a bank, we would have been Stevie at the beginning, would we? They, they had a third guy, and he's just like, yeah. I can't do this. <laughs> that guy's like, amazing. And he goes, Yeah, he goes, he goes, he goes, yeah, give me the keys. He goes, How am I going to get home? He goes, gets, take the subway. We need the car. All the way, he, like, he's like, I'm going to rob a bank today. He gets into the bank and then realizes, too much for me. I'm gone. I got to get out of here. <laughs> I was just like, I related to that. I was like, that would be me. If I ever ended up in this spot, I would think I could do it. And then I would very quickly be like, this is too much. Yeah. I can't do it, Sonny. <laughs> take the subway. We need the car. <laughs> I, I love the way Pacino kind of souses out the one guy who drops off the car, right? He goes, hey, give me the black guy. He'll drive. And then she's like, Take a walk, copper. He could tell right away. Like, yeah. This guy's acting way too friendly, way too cool. That was a great call by Sam. That scene where he, they released the hostage, that black guy, and, yeah. and, and like the, the cops are unaware of it, so they think it might be him. I was like, oh, my God. He's, like, I was scared shitless there. I was like, he's about to get shot. <laughs> that, was, that, was an, that was honestly one of the more intense scenes in the movie where I'm like, oh, my God, that's a hostage. Like, someone tell all the cops. Like, yeah. I, was like, I was literally screaming at my TV there. Tension builds up, and of course, Lance Henriksen, who's in the main seats, keeps saying, Sal, keep that gun pointed up. We don't yeah. want any bumps, right? Okay, no problem. And of course, that is the four battle. And then just very, very, shoot. that was still like it worked out, obviously, for those cops, but that you yeah. you do all that work all day to keep those hostages safe. And that's how you, like, <laughs> I mean, there was a very, you know, you put those hostages in a lot of danger oh, late in that no movie. Question. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's an incredible film. I love the script, I love the performances. Good. Really good. Two hours and five minutes, to Cody's point. If you shave off 10 minutes, hour 55 would have been a little better. Um, but you're right about that hook. I keep thinking, like, in today's world, people are much more tolerant, gay values, et cetera. And just imagine how that – how did that play in 75, I wonder? Imagine you're in the theater, and they're like, Pacino wants to talk to his wife. You cut to a, a very heavy woman with a couple of kids. And later on, they say, Sonny's wife is coming. And you look up, and there's a dude. You're like, wait, what? I, I thought that was his wife. Oh, wait. He's also married to a guy. He's yeah. bisexual. Okay, He's try- didn't see that coming. I like that. Pretty big jolt there. As if far you as would have said to me, "You're about to watch a movie about in 1975 where the guy is robbing a bank to pay for his boyfriend's transgender surgery," I yeah. would have been like, "You're fucking with me." That definitely didn't happen in 1975. I mean, yeah. it's definitely accepted differently. Like one of the cops in the background, like scoffs. He's like, Pfft. "Yes." Like laughing. Yeah, one point so, kind of gives a giggle when the guy says my operation. He's like, right. Because so he goes to a psychiatrist and says, there's a yeah. woman living inside of me. And you hear a yeah. kind of chuckle in the back. Like, oh. Right, but it's still just, it's honestly ahead of, it, ahead of its time, the fact that they're putting this in a movie, like mainstream. It was, it oh, was yeah. kind of cool. Every, every time people say, okay, Pride Month, give me a great film. I like, go, oh, Dog to Afternoon. Like, you, you have an actor who's bisexual who was one of the biggest movie stars in the world. It was Al Pacino. Like, it's pretty gutsy yeah. that Pacino did the role. They made that movie, felt it was important. And you're right. When he has to make those two phone calls, Sidney Lumet, the director, has said, he goes, Al did it like a play. He goes, keep the camera rolling. I want to do both phone calls. So it was like, that's pretty rare in movies. You know yeah. this. You, 30 seconds cut, 30 seconds. No, Al was like, I'm going to go 10 minutes on one phone call, then another phone call, five minutes. It was the end. You know, because you just watched it. That shot where he kind of just puts his, his cheeks yeah. like that. He goes, he was looking at Lumet. He goes, he finished yeah. it. He was like, Oh, like I got nothing left. He said yeah. he was just exhausted. Like yeah. he just, he goes, he is such a dedicated actor. And he goes, he was such a method actor. He goes, yeah. if Sonny was ranting and raving that day, then Al would be ranting and raving. He'd keep yeah. his energy up. And if he was kind of quiet, he'd be quiet on set. He goes, it was, 
It was crazy to work with him. I, I love work because he's very hard on himself. He goes, Pacino, he'll come back. He'll watch the rushes. That wasn't good. I got to do it again. He said the biggest key with Dog Afternoon was this. Pacino says they shot three days, and he would go back and watch the rushes. And most actors do not. They just go back to their trailer, and I do whatever you want. The rushes means you actually go and sit with the director, and you're actually watching. Okay. And the director's not going to listen to your input. He's going to have going with take five, take six. But you can kind of watch and maybe give some input. And Al's watching. He goes, Sydney, I got, I got bad news. We got to reshoot everything. He's like, what? He goes, we got to reshoot everything. Three days. He goes, Al, we got to listen, listen. He goes, the guy wouldn't wear glasses. He goes, what? He goes, originally, Pacino's character has sunglasses. He goes, he wouldn't wear glasses. He wants to get caught. He wants the publicity. He wants the fame. And he goes, okay, we're reshooting it. <laughs> it is true. The way he was like, like pointing to the crowd, like he loved yeah. it. He did love it. He yeah. was like a showman, right? He was showboating yeah. and stuff. He was getting fired up. And Sal, I love, I love, I love Sal being like making sure that the cop knows. Like, can you tell them there's not two gay guys in oh. here? There's oh, not two homosexuals amazing. in here. Yeah, yeah, goes, they're, they're saying on the news there's two homosexuals. Yeah. And I, and I was like, what? He goes, there's saying there's, there's not. And he goes, well, what do you want to do? I, I can't control the news. I can't control the media. I thought there was going to be more depth to that scene. I thought they were going to like have a discussion about it. And he was just like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I kind of like the fact that, yeah, I like the fact that Sal knows Sonny's gay and doesn't care. He's like, whatever, like, yeah. you're gay, you're bi, like, whatever. Like, I'm your buddy. I'm clearly yeah. not. I'm upset they're calling me a homosexual. But right. we're here to rob a bank together and that's it. Yeah. But anyway. Sal is just a stone cold. Like, we're not going, he wants to, sh we're going to start throwing bodies out the building. That like, scene <laughs> where, like, Al Pacino's just like, yeah, we're, we're not going to hurt anybody. He's just like, you said we make it out clean or we don't go. And, and you can see Pacino's like, oh shit, I guess we're, I guess we're going to die here. Yeah, 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 I meant that. <laughs> I love that Pacino's character worked in the bank as well because he knew how to trip the alarms. He knew how to get fake money, right? So it's still like, this is paper money. It's useless. Yeah. You guys don't know what I mean. Like, what are right. you deal with here? This is more fun when I watch the movies, I'll admit. Dude, this was a great review. The fact that you actually see I'm so happy right now. Yeah. This was a much better review. If, only, the, if only this episode wasn't an hour long before our interview. <laughs> Hey, whatever. Though. Don't edit any of the dog. I don't care how long this episode is. It's the Oscars preview. This it's, one's going to be a little bit longer. Okay? We can have a longer episode. It's fun. It's been a good one. This has been a good episode. All right, you're right, Cody. It is time to get to that interview. Hour in, Dave Carger of TCM. He brings the heat, just like Pacino and Dog the Afternoon. It's a real pleasure bringing in TCM host and resident Oscars expert Dave Carter right now. We're going to be talking about TCM's 31 Days of Oscar and, of course, building up to the Academy Awards. I'm a huge fan of Dave's because I'm a big Entertainment Weekly guy, so I've had on the podcast Owen Gleiberman and Ty Burr, and for years I'd always look at Dave's picks when it came to the Oscars, and, of course, he's uh, nailed them more often than not. Then went to Fandango, and, of course, now he does an awesome job with TCM. Dave, how are you, man? Good to see you. I'm great. Thank you for that nice introduction. I really appreciate it. And of course, I know your you and your interests very well. No, I appreciate that very kind of you to say. As a matter of fact, let's go right to TCM because uh, as always, I get sucked into old movies. I was listening to P.T. Anderson on the Smartless podcast with Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, Sean Hayes. And there's asking what shows you into, right? Little series. And he said exactly what I say. And people think I'm crazy. But P.T. and I, both with four kids, he goes, when I have a chance, I can't just watch old movies. Like, I just want to watch TCM. And, and I was like, bam. Okay, no more of this. I got to watch eight limited series, which are on Amazon Prime and Hulu. And like, no, I was going to put on TCM and watch some old movies. I, I recently rewatched Scarecrow, which, Dave, I adore Pacino. I hadn't seen it in 20 years. 
Pacino and Gene Hackman together. That's one of the great underseen movies. You, me, and Ben Mankiewicz could talk forever about 1967 and 1977, the great Arab movies. But Scarecrow's all those movies nobody's seen. I'm so grateful you guys aired it again. Well, and it's not one that we air very often. So it's I'm, I'm glad that you caught it. I wonder if it was part of like TCM Underground or something like that. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> dovetails my point because it's 31 days of Oscar. That movie did, definitely did not get any Oscar recognition, but no, I was thrilled but, to see it. But I love when we get to spread our wings a little bit. I mean, obviously, you know, the main stuff that we show on TCM is movies from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. But I love when we do the Oscar month because we can do more recent movies. We do this thing called Summer Under the Stars every August, where it's 24 hours on a one one star and we show different kinds of movies there and then yes. something like tcm underground is you can really show some gems uh kind of like c-list movies in there so- <laughs> well i told ben manquitz to go clearly there's some sports guys over there because in march in the last couple of years there's been like a march madness film noir theme and i go okay you guys are clearly playing off the guys like me who are all men behaving badly check out edward g robinson here in key largo it's, it's always fun to well, see uh, yeah. As far as 31 Days of Oscar, that's the biggest thing I try to tell people is say, well, the Oscars aren't what they used to be. Nobody watches as much as they used to. They've lost social currency. TV's never been better. And I go, blah, blah, blah. Here's where the Oscars still matter. Because there's guys like you and me who are always going to care and are passionate about the Oscars and will, are more inclined to watch them because you say, oh, I didn't realize it was nominated for thus and thus. Or I, we're completists. So I want to see every film nominated for Best Picture from 1960. So I'm going to go ahead and go watch all these movies. And I particularly in this year, I can't tell you how many people try to give me the old drivel about, oh, I don't watch any movies. But once the nominations come out, they go, okay, what do I got to go see? Where can I find Belfast? Where can I find West's Story? When is this streaming? So maybe it's changed. It's changed from I got to get a sitter to go watch Good Night and Good Luck. And now where can I watch Drive My Car? But but that's why the Oscars matter, because people, they wait. And once the nominations come out, there's a, a real rush, a feverish rush to watch all those movies before March 27th. Totally. And I loved Coda when I saw it, you know, last spring, because I got a chance to see it before it premiered, what, on Apple TV Plus. And I was like, everyone I know, watch this movie, watch this movie. And now in the last couple of weeks, everyone's like, hey, do you like Coda? I'm thinking, <laughs> where have you been for the past year? We've been shouting from the rooftops about this movie. Come on. And but you know what? Better late than never. For me, there, and I say this all the time, there is no shame in not having seen a movie. People say, Oh, how could you never have seen this or that? That's okay. You haven't gotten around to it yet. Casablanca is still the same movie, whether you've already seen it or you're about to see it for your first time. There's no shame in not having seen something. Just always keep learning and watching. That's true, but to your point, there's nothing more frustrating than a week ago a friend of mine said, hey, have you seen Parasite? That's a really good movie. I said, thanks. You're about three years late, but thanks for letting me. I heard the cacophony from Cannes when the movie was released, and then it just continued. But thank you for letting me know. Yes, Parasite is very good. Um, as far as this year's slate of films, I feel like Best Picture is wide open. I haven't seen your latest predictions and stuff, but I said to myself, all right, it's going to be Power of the Dog. And I said, well, don't get sucked into just because it has the most nominations. Campion feels very certain for director, but I don't know about Best Picture necessarily. It's not a film I personally found rewarding in that it's it's a rewatchable film or a, an endearing film. I think it's expertly crafted and really masterfully done by Jane Campion. And again, the performances are excellent, but it's not a film I love and root for, which is why I'm pulling for Belfast. I think that tugs at the heartstrings. We thought that was the Oscar frontrunner in many ways, but it has not performed well. And then here comes Coda, which you mentioned, that won the SAG Best Cast Award. Maybe that's the push that it needs and deserves. Best Picture, if you're handicapping, how do you feel? Well, everything that you've just said is all the stuff that's been running through my mind for the past week, and just as you've said it. And normally, I used to say, oh, the movie with the most nominations really has has a great shot. And But then I thought, you're right, Belfast and Coda. Well, really, it was just Belfast. Belfast seemed yeah. to be the only one that was kind of up there. 
um, in the movie that you vote with, with your voting with your heart, whereas Power of the Dog is if you're voting with your head. A really beautiful film, extremely well acted, but a bit cold, right? Yeah. Here's the thing that I've been thinking about. With the emergence of CODA and what you just alluded to, kind of the underperforming or underperformance of Belfast, which got seven nominations, but that's fewer than people were expecting. Did not get editing, did not get Katrina Bell for Jamie Dornan. I think what the problem is, is that those voters who want the sentimental winner, who want the movie that makes them feel good, and I and Belfast, Coda, and Power of the Dog are my three favorite movies of the year. So the problem is there's Belfast and there's Coda to take the votes from these sentimental movie lovers. So I'm not someone who often says things like, oh, such and such is going to split the vote and split the vote. But I think those two movies are going to split the vote. And I think Power of the Dog will probably emerge victorious um, because of that. And I think if Coda was not in the race, Belfast would probably win. Yeah, that's interesting. Because that was my thought. I said maybe Belfast will sneak in because of those tugging at the heartstrings. But that does make a lot of sense when you look at splitting of votes. What I also find fascinating is this. There was a lot of conversation about the Batman. And it makes me think about the Dark Knight and the fact that I mean, they literally changed the Oscar rules for this film. It's, it does not get nominated for Best Picture, nor did Wally that year. And they said, okay, let's go from five to up to ten to include more populist films. And in fact, that hasn't happened at all. If that happened, then Spider-Man would have been nominated. But no, let's get Drive My Car in there, a beautiful three-hour rumination about life and love and death and guilt from Japan. So how do you think the Academy feels that they tried to include this rule to, I think, be more broad-based and get films like The Dark Knight in, and instead more artier films have filled those spots? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, Black Panther did make it in there. I think you can make the argument yeah. that it might not have gotten in if it had. there had only been five that year. Um, but you're right. I think, by and large, the expanded Best Picture race has meant more movies like the movies that were already being nominated being nominated. I don't think that's a bad thing. I am very happy that the Academy members have not changed their voting habits or this is a strong word, but have not panned to that loud group of film Twitter or whoever who has said, why isn't Spider-Man getting nominated? Spider-Man's fun. I enjoyed it. But should that be up there with the other movies that are nominated for Best Picture? I don't think so. Black Panther deserved to be in there. Black Panther was doing something a little bit different. Um, and I think it was a little bit more, it has something more to say. Spider-Man was just a super fun action movie. Um, so... Yeah, I'm sure the I'm sure there are some people, particularly at ABC, because they're the ones that really care about the ratings, who would like to see you know more popular movies, quote unquote, being nominated at the Oscars. But I, I can't fault any of the movies that were that were nominated. There's nothing in there that I look at it and say, oh, that shouldn't be in there. Those are the those are ten of the best movies of the year. And I know ABC has great power here. And listen, I worked at ESPN. I worked at the Oscars a couple of years for Oscar.com and Facebook Live. I understand TV matters, but but I'm with you. For people who said the ratings got to get up, I'm like, listen, if, if the show goes from 3.30 to three hours, I don't think we're going to get 50 million people to watch it. Baseball, which is a sport I love, if you make the sport quicker, we'll make it as fast as basketball. It'll be two hours and 20 minutes. What are you doing? Like, if you love it, you love it. If you don't, then you don't. It's okay. You don't have to watch. It's fine. Like, the Oscars, for guys like you and me, could be four and a half hours. And we'd be like, great. And we would criticize certain elements that were perhaps bloated. We could have used a little shortened montage. But we really loved In Memoriam. We liked this tribute to Sidney Pollock or whomever it is. Like, I, I understand it. I really do, Dave. I get the fascination with it. I work in TV. we got to get better numbers, better ratings. But I do think you're biting the hand that feeds you when you start omitting major categories like music and editing. 
because you're trying to satisfy television. That's just how I feel. Well, and yeah, we can talk about that too. I mean, I think a lot of people have misunderstood that this change, these eight categories are not being cut from the show. We will, we will see the winners. We will see their speeches. It's just that it will actually happen in real time the hour before, and then they're going gotcha. to edit that in. The problem is that the Academy and people who are in the audience are going to tweet out who those winners are in those eight categories. <laughs> By the time we actually see them accepting the awards on the telecast, we'll know who the winners are. That's not great. Um, my bigger problem, and I know, I know you have a huge following on Twitter and you're very active on there. My former boss, Mark Harris, who is the smartest person I've ever met in my entire life. I was his assistant. Hell of an author too. He's great. Amazing author. He has been very vocal about his distaste for a lot of the, the changes that the Academy has made. And what he said, in, particularly in response to this Twitter vote thing that the Academy is doing, asking Twitter to yeah. say what's the what movie should win, and it's like Cinderella or something. He he keeps saying to, on Twitter as if he's speaking to ABC and the Academy. He says, "Why are you trying to cater the Oscars to people who hate the Oscars? Why you're not going to win these people over with a Twitter vote?" That, that they're not going to care except for the Twitter vote. They're not going to care about the rest of the show. So make the show the best that it can be for the people. And it's still a very large audience, granted, not a football playoffs audience, but an audience that's big, cater the show to them and make it the best show for them. And it'll organically be the best show. I really do feel that way. Amen to that. A couple more minutes here with Dave Carger, TCM host. Does a phenomenal job. You can follow him on social media. Of course, watch him on Turner Classics. You mentioned your favorite movies of the year are actually the films that have been nominated, Power of the Dog and Belfast uh, and obviously Coda. Every year, there's one vote that I care about the most, right? We, we know Siskel and Ebert. If we pick the winners every year, Siskel would say, if I had just one vote, Ebert goes, if I just had one winner. The one for me didn't even get nominated. I said, for sure, it'll get nominated because it's from Oscar Farhadi. I said, just want to see a hero get nominated because I love the film. I love his work. Do you think the fact he's won two Oscars hurt him? They said, okay, enough out of you, because I did not see Lunana, a yak in the classroom, somehow getting that nomination. Everything else, I get it. Sorrentino's work is well-received. You know, we, we, we know that Drive My Car is going to win. I understand that the worst one in the world is obviously a really critical darling. In fact, it got nominated for screenplay. But how does Farhadi not get – and he was out there. I texted Scott Feinberg. He did the Hollywood Reporter podcast. He did my podcast. He speaks Farsi. He had a translator. Explain to me how a hero, which I said should win and at least get nominated, didn't even get nominated. I mean, I'm looking at the five. Flea, Hand of God. I mean, yeah. So it was, it was obviously Lunana, a yak yeah. in the classroom, which I have to say I have not seen. Or, or a hero. I, I have no answer for you. No answer yeah. for you. If For me, though, and I never really believed this had a shot, but my fourth favorite movie, because you just said my first three, which are Belfast, Power of the Dog, and Coda. My fourth favorite was Red Rocket. Oh, and yeah. I would so have Baker. loved to see Simon Rex in the Oscar race. <laughs> he, he was made for the Spirit Awards, and he won Best Actor at the Spirit Awards. That was, that was never going to happen, but I love that movie, and I love that performance. Yeah, I, I still go back to the Florida Project. I thought Defoe was going to win for sure. And I love Sam Rockwell. I'm thrilled that he won, but I really wanted... Because if Defoe wins, again, the Oscar bump gives you so much. I have to see this film now because Willem Defoe won an Academy Award. Now I'll watch right. the movie. And Sean Baker, Red Rocket is terrific, and you're right. If that nomination would help more people see it. I have to close with this. I texted Ben Mankiewicz the other day after I saw Scarecrow and Mississippi Burning. I said, hey, great one-two punch. I love Gene Hackman. Hope you're well. And Mank texts back, oh, thanks so much, buddy. Uh, obviously, two great films. I just spent the day with Brian Cox. It was glorious. You now have to one-up Ben Mankiewicz. Give me a name drop of somebody you recently spent the day with so that at least we can have this bragging contest between TCM hosts. Who are you hanging out with when Ben Mankiewicz is hanging out with Brian Cox? 
I just, I just did an event at the Santa Barbara Film Festival in person where I interviewed at the same time, Alana Haim, Ariana DeBose, Katrina Balfe, Kieran Hines, Troy Kopser, Sanaya Sidney, who plays Venus Williams in King Richard, um, right. and Simon Rex, all at the same time. <laughs> okay, we're getting a Best Supporting Actor frontrunner in Troy Kotzer, a Supporting yeah. Actress frontrunner in Ariana DeBose. Great actor, Kieran Hines, I'd love to see a win for Supporting Actor. I think you got Mank Beat. That's uh, right. those are eight big stars right there. Dave Carger does an awesome job as always. Once again, TCM's 31 Days of Oscar. Uh, as I said, Dave, I've loved your work ever since EW, and I'm thrilled to see you every time up there. And uh, congrats on all your success, man. Really appreciate you. Thank you very much. See you soon. All right. Thanks to Dave Carger, TCM. Oscars week. Look at us. Look at us. This is a pretty good episode. I hope. I don't think Dan ever listens. I hope Dan listens. I hope John Skipper listens. I hope Bimmel listens. This is a good episode, guys. Yeah. Give Give Cody a promotion. He did his homework. He watched Dog Afternoon, and we're also all over uh, the guest bookers. We got the Age of Cage. I got a hard copy here from Keith Phipps. He's coming up in a couple weeks. We've also got. I don't want to answer the guest. I don't want to risk it. Pretty big name. You were very excited about the name we're getting next yes. week. So yes. fingers crossed that she will come mm-hmm. on the podcast. There's your big hint. Yep. Enjoy the Oscars, everybody. I'll be tweeting like a maniac. And until then, I'll see you at the movies. Michael Keaton's the best. <laughs>